Welcome to an Informed Life Radio and 1150 AM KKNW. I'm your host, Bernadette Pager. So pleased to be here today. Um, we're waiting on Javier. He'll be popping in here any minute, I believe. Hello, oh, hello. Hey, he made it. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> Good to be here. And, you know, I'm going to bring our first guest on right away so we can have some of this initial discussion that you and I are going to have. This is Dr. Henry Ely, otherwise known as Dr. H. Hi, Dr. H. Hey, Bernadette. (laughs) Hey, Javier. It's good to see you. How are you doing? I want to tell people who may be new to Dr. H a little bit about him. He's the founder and executive community director for the Energetic Health Institute. He holds a doctorate in naturopathic medicine, a bachelor of science in mechanical engineering. He's board certified in holistic nutrition. He's also an ordained minister and one of the most passionate, dedicated, brilliant individuals in this movement for truth and freedom. He's the force behind Data Disaster, a call to investigate the CDC's misconduct. Mm -hmm. And we're so thrilled to have him on here again. He's been keeping us updated. And he jumped in at the last minute because, you know, Javier, we were scheduled to have um, uh, Crystal Jesse, who is an attorney, uh, suing for several counties here in Tennessee, uh, McKinsey and Company. (laughs) A major consulting firm, a global consulting firm yes. that was deeply involved for about a decade in promoting the use of opioids. Um, I'm going to go ahead and share a little information here. Let's see if I can figure out how to do this. I have to do this every time. Share. <laughs> share my screen. Thank you for your patience as we walk through this. And I'm going to go ahead and share my Chrome tab. I'm going to pick. All righty. Here we go. Um let me know when you all see this. This is a ProPublica article from way back, oh, July of 2020, how McKinsey is making 100 million and counting, advising on the government's bumbling coronavirus response. Wow. Yeah. Um, and why that's really interesting, I'm going to stop sharing there. Um, and we're going to go back to, let's see if it goes back. Oh, here we go. Um, we kind of just stumbled, you know, we were doing a lot of investment by we, I mean, Informed Choice Washington, trying to figure out what's going on. Early on in COVID, we figured out by reading all the Department of Health reports and the governor's mm-hmm. reports that a company owned by the Gates Foundation, mm-hmm. IDMOD, infectiousdiseasemodeling.org, was running the show. Mm-hmm. So basically, Bill Gates was running the show. So we began to do some public records requests. People were sending us their public records requests. And and one day, we actually stumbled upon some open public records requests that a file was available. Well, they're public records, so there we go. We found some really interesting things. And one of the interesting things that we learned was this. And uh, let's see. Here we go. 
So let me know when you can see this image of an email. So we discovered this email from March 18th of 2020. Now remember, March is early days of COVID, right? Yes. Um, the first case was discovered in Seattle, like February or something around that time. March 18th is really early on this. And we we found this email from Kurt Del Bene to Christine Gregoire about McKinsey's assistance to Washington State. Now, let me explain that to uh, listeners who aren't familiar with these names. The congresswoman in the first district in Washington State, who was my congresswoman until I moved from Washington, Susan Del Bene, um, Kurt is her husband, and he had a high up position with Microsoft. And Christine Gregoire is a former governor yes. of the state of Washington. So I'm going to go ahead and read this um, email. Hi, Governor Gregoire. Many thanks for the great call today. And then I won't read all of that. It's not quite relevant. I was talking with a dear friend of mine who happens to also be a director in the Seattle office of McKinsey and Company, Dilip Waggle. Dilip mentioned that they are helping out a number of state governors on strategy issues during the crisis and wondered if they might be able to offer assistance to our state government here in Washington state. I thought you might be a good person to connect to and consider if there's a way they can help uh, Governor Inslee at this challenging time. I'm pretty sure they're asking solely as interested citizens of our state, hoping that there are ways that the firm can pitch in and help. I've added him to this email so he can describe what they're doing elsewhere and how they might be able to help. I hope you don't mind my forwardness in doing so. Dillip is an amazing human being, and I think you'd enjoy meeting him in person if there's ever a spare moment in calmer times. Kurt. So what's really interesting about that, <laughs> when you read that ProPublica investigation, those sort of, hey, governor, I've got this good buddy friend who just happens to work for McKinsey. Yep. And all over the United States, governors were hiring with no contract, no bid. Well, actually, it was a contract, but no bid just pulling on for horrific amounts of money. I forget how much Washington State was paying for two consultants. It was like, uh, I, I, you know, I can't even say it's like $500,000 a week or some ridiculous thing. I don't know if it was quite that much, but I'll, I'll try to find it. Um, it's been a while since I looked at all of that information. Um, but yeah, so disingenuous. Yeah, absolutely. Dis and, and McKinsey and Company, um, Dr. H, are you familiar with them and their work? No, this is the first I'm hearing of them. Um, I've been wow. alerted to a few others um, that have been involved in this. And this and it's really well orchestrated. I mean, you, it's, it's not an accident when you see every single news agency, every single governor saying the exact same phrases, yes. you know, at the same time. That's, that's a coordinated thing. So unfortunately, though, money leaves a trail. Money, money leaves a trail. Absolutely. Um, so I'm going to go back to what Crystal Jesse, who will be on, she wasn't able to join us today because she, now that the, um, the cases are going forward uh, for the counties against McKinsey in their role with the opioid epidemic, um, she's not able to come in and talk publicly, but she will join us as soon as she is able to do so. Um, but I wanted to show you some of the, what has happened at the state level. Now she's representing some counties to make sure counties, so that the money actually goes to the communities where the people are who have been harmed um, by 
um, all of this. Um, so Tennessee reached a, a deal of $573 million settlement. How much is this, this company making to right. market drugs for these pharmaceutical companies if if now they're you know going to have to pay to Tennessee and you know every state is filed every state is getting hundreds of millions um and i'm going to say read right here today's filings describe how McKinsey contributed to the opioid crisis by promoting marketing schemes and consulting services to opioid manufacturers including OxyContin maker Purdue Pharma for over a decade the complaint filed with the settlement details how McKinsey advised Purdue on how to maximize profits from its opioid products, including targeting high-volume opioid prescribers using specific messaging to get physicians to prescribe more OxyContin to more patients and circumventing pharmacy restrictions in order to deliver high-dose prescriptions. Wow. It's just sickening. Um, this is the company that our that state governors in the United States decided to trust to bring in to promote the response to covid that was directed by the Gates Foundation. Yep. Wow. Yeah, and um one of the I, the when you go look at the World Economic Forum uh forum that is trying to capitalize on this pandemic in order to reset things so that nobody owns anything and will be happy and we're paying rent to somebody I don't know who um, you'll see that McKinsey is on is listed as one of their members so mm -hmm. yeah. you know you just <laughs> you just gotta wonder um, but you know Dr. H and Javier on the positive front holy cow the world's waking up mm -hmm. it's so fantastic I had the honor and pleasure of being in Washington, D.C. this Sunday, January 23rd, at the Defeat uh, the Mandates um, March. Dr. H., were you there and I missed you? Uh, no, no, you, you, you <laughs> didn't miss me. I, I heard, uh, I, I actually just got off the phone today with uh, Kevin Jenkins, who started off the event and everything with such a yeah. powerful speech. I've, I've chatted with uh, Dr. McCullough a little bit about it as well, Dr. Alexander. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, Tom Renz. I've, I've talked with the, the, the overall feeling was that the crowd and the people that showed up were amazing. The support mm. was palpable mm -hmm. and, and that, um, and that it was, it was a peaceful event yes. where people from all sides and backgrounds came yes. together for one common cause, freedom, right? Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. it, it was fantastic. I wish I could have been there. Yeah, I just, it, it's really cool where I live now. It was about, well, with pit stops, it was about a seven hour drive, almost zero traffic until I got mm. about 30 miles out. So it was such a sweet drive. And I mean, it, it was, it was so moving. And I tell you, the crowd, it was so, I felt so safe and comfortable and mm. And, you know, it, the diversity of the crowd, all walks of life, all politics, you know, every shade of skin color, just everybody united in one belief that freedom is essential to life yep. and that we have to end the corruption. Amen. And, you know, we looked at each other, perfect strangers, smiling, thanking each other for making the journey. I tell you, it was 
it was so fantastic. It was just, and then when those wonderful musicians who, forgive me, I don't remember the name of them off the top of my head. I should always have these notes right beside me. But when they began to sing, um, you know, on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial and say, you know, um, it's about, um, okay, somebody help me out with the, something about religion and the children. Oh, do you know the words? I, I was just singing it like 10 minutes ago. <laughs> oh, no. um, anyway, yeah, it, it just it, it was chilling. It's just you got the chills in a good way. It was so good. Right. Um, and then the next day, the next day, that powerhouse five hours, Senator right. Ron Johnson with some of those speakers there and others in the audience you know, who wasn't in the panel, they were in the audience. They nailed it. Yeah, they yeah. nailed it. And I tell you, as somebody who was in the medical freedom informed consent um, movement, shouting about the corruption pre-COVID, mm -hmm. to hear these world-renowned doctors and scientists go to the heart and core of what's wrong, the corruption of our federal oversight agencies, the corruption of public health, to right. hear them say it, ah, oh, Wow. Yeah. Finally. You know, finally. Yeah, it's like, it was just like, you, you feel a release right there. Cause it's like, mm -hmm. how many arrows have we taken of being called crazy people, mm -hmm. conspiracy theorists, even though we've had massive amounts of data. And then you, yeah. you get like a, a moment where Tom Renz comes on and he just, oh, wow. yeah. he just crushes it. I had been waiting, you know me, I'm a data guy, right? Mm -hmm. I had been mm -hmm. waiting for two years to somebody on a major stage finally challenge the validity of the, of the data being pushed out in the narrative. And Tom did it beautifully. He crushed it. And, you know, now we have to have a conversation. The thing we should have been having from the very start, I think it was January mm -hmm. 21st where the first case was diagnosed. Mm -hmm. We should have been having all hands on deck. Let's talk. What do you got, naturopaths? Mm -hmm. What do you got, MDs? We're not going to mm -hmm. lock into one treatment from the start. Mm -hmm. What we're going to do is develop several treatment plans, put them at different hospitals around the country, check demographics, all this stuff. If we would have approached this truly objectively and altruistically, right? Yes. About yes. saving lives, we this would have been over by March before that yes. email that you mentioned yeah. ever goes out. But yeah. because we didn't, and because it was about profiteering and because it was about lying and built upon statistical fraud and data manipulation and willful misconduct, what ends up happening is, you know, is, is this two years later, it's just a chaos and people are pissed now and yeah. every right to be pissed. I'm, I, I'm, yeah. I'm pissed about it. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Amen for that. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, and then, um, you know, so that that was March, you know, where they were bringing McKinsey on board. And here we had you and all these brilliant doctors all over the world and so many others doing their best to heal their patients, not realizing that all of their efforts, a, a giant restriction and censorship machine was gearing up to shut them down, exactly. you know, yep. and um, in August of that year. Informed Twist Washington filed a petition with our Washington State Board of Health asking them to convene a committee of practitioners mm -hmm. because we were seeing the censorship. We were seeing that, you know, nobody knew that early treatment existed and it was here now. We didn't have to wait. Right. Um, we asked them to convene this committee. They turned us down. They said it's a great idea, but it's not in our wheelhouse. The federal government needs to do it. Well, there's no right. way the federal government was going to do it. 
Um, you know, and, and all this time, the federal government was doing the exact opposite, the absolute exact corruption. Opposite. And still in Washington state and in most states, even in the state of Tennessee, where, you know, the government's, governor's doing a fairly decent job of making sure that, you know, there's no mandates and, and to a certain right. degree, doctors can practice. There's still, though, the restrictions. People are still having difficulty getting the medicines they need. There's still, if you get in the hospital, you're in trouble because oh, yeah. you get on that exactly that protocol. Exactly. And yeah. So well, Bernadette, I, I had a family member um, was killed in the hospital uh, last week, you know, <gasps> and, I, and I got a firsthand look at what's exactly going on in there. And I published on this on the America Out Loud platform last week. And we and uh, uh, Malcolm uh, Out Loud uh, brought me on to his viewpoint show on Tuesday to talk about it. Um, you know, we got we have five major problems going on in these hospitals right now, not the least of which is that family members in most places still can't be bedside, you know, yeah. but I, I was appalled. Uh, I was on the phone every day for about 10, 11 days with uh, with, you know, on behalf of, as a patient, as a family advocate. It was appalling listening to a new doctor every day, a new nurse every day. And listen to them tell me about how they are locked into one treatment program. It is, it is completely COVID until they recover or die. There is no reassessment of change in clinical presentation, um, and uh, and and there and the doctors don't realize that the hospitals are being reimbursed sixty five percent of the first thirty percent that they didn't get from Medicare or Medicaid, they're now getting that if they simply use remdesivir. We've been asking about ivermectin and why is it isn't being used in hospitals. It's because remdesivir is the only medication that is financially incentivized. So the hospitals mm -hmm. are in on it. The doctors knowingly or unknowingly are complicit in it. And you know what blew me away, Bernadette? There are two things. I am still beside myself that every doctor in the country isn't testing for vitamin D levels upon admission. Yes. I'm, I'm yeah. blown away by it's that. Criminal. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But what really got to me, and I had to sit and think about this for a second, was why aren't they testing for antibodies upon hospitalization so that they can, because we've always in medicine used antibodies to gauge and stage where a patient is in their recovery. And we can verify it with viral load testing, which are, all of them are EUA approved. So I asked one of the doctors, I said, well, where's the, can you tell me what the antibody levels are for IgM and IgG? And he's like, well, we didn't run them. I said, okay, well, can you run them? And he said, well, yeah, you're a doctor, you're requesting it. I'll run it for you now. But we have never run that. I said, really, how long have you been working in at Kaiser Permanente treating this? He's like, since the beginning. So we don't run. He said specifically, we aren't allowed to run antibody tests or viral load tests on the patient to stage recovery and confirm that this is no longer viral, like Dr. Chetty is saying in South Africa. It's now a microclot issue, right? right. And, and, and D-dimer levels are confirming this. We're not allowed to shift treatment focus and reevaluate the clinical situation. I said, why are you okay with that? That's, that's malpractice. You're the one that's now in wow. the crosshairs, not the hospital. So what's, what's alarming to me is that, um, is that they're flying blind. All these doctors, even though they have the tools, they're flying mm -hmm. blind. And when I stopped and thought about it, I was like, oh, I know why they're not running antibody tests because it would confirm in a percentage of the admissions that it's actually not COVID. Right. 
All right. So okay. they can't they can't confirm that because they've been billing based upon it being COVID. And if they stop billing based upon COVID, oh. the money for the hospitalization drops dramatically and the use of remdesivir gets thrown out. So that money drops mm-hmm. dramatically. This is about money. Oh, right. Yeah. So that's how ugly this is. It is. It is so ugly. And I don't I guess I, I just can't understand once somebody figures this out, how they continue to work in the system. Amen. Amen. I, I don't you know, get it. The doctors that are having success all around the world are, are, are all around the world, especially in this country, are the ones working in private practice. Exactly. The ones, mm-hmm. the cash doctors are saying, I don't care about your reimbursement and your insurance. I care that the patient gets better. I just heard a story of a naturopathic colleague yesterday who got hospitalized. They were about to vent her. They, uh, uh, her, her fellow colleagues uh, had to get an attorney to get her out of the hospital because they were gonna, they were gonna kill her too, right? Oh so she God. could be another for-profit hyperinflation of the data, and then they got her out. She got better in 48 hours after getting out of. She went from death's doorstep to full, not fully recovered, but ambulatory, able to get out of bed and walk around and stuff within 48 hours using natural therapies. All right, wow. you know wow. I. Bernadette, I, this is hand to God, all right? Hand to God. The day before my family member was killed, I was yelling at the doctor of the day to administer budesonide. I'm a naturopath. I can't believe the world I'm in right now where I'm right. arguing for the use of budesonide. budesonide. Yeah. On a right, right. But I said, she's obviously failing. You vented her without the family's permission. And, you know, here's the, here's the tragedy. And this is what I want everybody in your audience to hear. Her daughter, who was the other family advocate, my cousin, called me up broken and in tears the next day. And I said, what happened? She said, mom is gone and just broken, right? And I said, oh, my God, were you there? She said, no, I didn't get to say goodbye. They just called me to tell me she died. And then they wouldn't allow for the release of the body. Okay. Now I'm going to let everybody know that's not going to stand. We just got 1200 pages of medical records and I'm, I am going to support my cousin if she wants to go after malpractice because Mm -hmm. we can prove that they missed the mark on a number of things, but what's going on in our hospitals is Mm -hmm. unconscionable Mm -hmm. right now. And the hospitals should never be a dangerous place and we should never have such a broken trust with our medical systems that we go, like for me, don't you ever take me to a hospital. Right. Not not in this climate. Yeah. Because yeah. no. my chances are better outside of the hospital than in them because the hospitals mm-hmm. and the doctors aren't thinking, they're obeying, the hospitals are chasing money. And I'm I'm left to the predilections and incompetence of the new medical team every day that gets rotated in. And you know why they're doing that, Bernadette? You know why they're rotating a new medical team in every day? No, so why? so that there is no emotional bonding created oh, between the doctor and the patient so that when someone dies, it's easier on the doctor. They don't feel the sense of loss that we would feel when we're invested in the patient's outcome. That's right. You know, in, in, in all the scenarios of war that have been put forward and all the weapons, I never thought that the weaponization of the medical industry Right. You know, would be used. We are at war. 
to kill um, my family and, member. That's where we're at. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, and one of the one of the awesome women here in in Tennessee that I work with, her father mm -hmm. was killed in the hospital. Mm -hmm. um, one of the speakers that was very passionate and very angry and strident in her speech on January mm -hmm. 23rd, her father had just passed away two days before. That's right. Um, yeah. And, you know, everyone I talk to knows somebody exactly. not doing well or a, a member that died. I've been going to the Capitol here in Nashville mm -hmm. and you can go in person. You can sit down and have these amazing conversations. There is no Zoom is not a substitute for human connection and sitting in a be. room. Um, and one of them said to me on Tuesday that um, several of his friends have died, mm -hmm. um, you know, from lack of early treatment or, yeah. or, and what seems to be even more so um, after getting the shot within 24, 48, 72 hours, he said, yeah. um, he's lost, he's lost friends. We, so, we know the data on that. We are, we're over at, we're over 6,600 deaths now reported to Varys, which we know is dramatically underreported, right? Mm -hmm. We're over 6,600 deaths in Varys reported within 48 hours post-inoculation. Within 48 hours. So you're not talking yeah. all deaths, just the, that 6,600 within 24 hours. With, that, you know, in anybody's, I mean, sixth graders, when they're taught about science, they're taught mm -hmm. about, you know, uh, temporal association is really important. Mm -hmm. you know? Exactly. You know? And and, you know, even when, um, oh, the wonderful Joy Fritz, um, who has worked on with death certificates, yep. um, says that, you know, when a doctor goes to fill out the death certificate, they really consider how what was the patient's health prior to um, onset of symptoms. And if, if it looks like were it not for the exposure to something, the symptoms might not have occurred, you know, that's where your cause of death is coming from. And if you've got people who are perfectly fine um, going in to get the shot and two days later are dead, that's cause it's causation. You know? It's, it's very, it, you know, what really gets, gets me on this issue, Brenda is, they keep saying it's not causation and Fauci and Walensky came out with their nonsense saying that, well, you know, even though it's required under EUA, uh, under EUA, it's, it's, it's legally required. It is, it is, it is required. I'm going to keep saying this word medical <laughs> professionals to report any injuries, especially deaths that they feel are associated to the experimental shots. Right. Yeah. Um, Fauci comes out and says, well, it's, you know, if somebody gets hit by the bus two weeks later, they get counted as a virus. No, that's actually not what's happening. That's, that's some Goebbels level Nazi propaganda that's yeah. happening on the, on the COVID death counts. We know that in Alameda mm -hmm. County and in uh, Santa Clara County, California, where they had to reduce their counts on, on deaths on it when they did a partial audit last year by uh, 22 and 25%. Right. Mm -hmm. So, He's he's accu he's accusing Vares of being inaccurate while and, and saying that the other data is accurate. He's accusing Vares of doing what they are doing on the other side to hyperinflate the data. It's it's exactly. it's it is unconscionable to have that kind of mentality. What what how do you live with yourself having that kind of mentality about this to lie 
boldface again and again and again to the American people. And I bet you that came out of, what was the name of that McKinsey? I bet you that came out of a McKinsey. McKinsey company, yeah. McKinsey-like company think tank. Like this is this is going to be, this tested well with the public that the people that still in your support base, they'll, they'll swallow yeah. this one from you. Yeah. So this is what you guys should stay, say lock and step, right? Exactly. Well, and the worst part is that, you know, if when we're saying that we're, you know, at war now with our medical system, uh, the, well, let me go back here. Um, where are you? Where did you go? My apologies. <laughs> oh, that's um, okay. It's, it's basically uh, what we're, what we're now having to, uh, to realize is that there, there was a whole process in place prior to um, uh, us uh, having to deal with, with everything that was going on. The coroner's handbook is the, the, basically the, the law of the land in terms of how you file death certificates. Right. Yeah. And then, you know, around March, the CDC said, by the way, don't follow the handbook. This is a new regulation. And then they did a second one clarifying it insisting still yeah. you have to say COVID is the cause if they test positive or you even presume they had COVID. Right. This is, this is, uh, this is the core thing. I love it when people are repeating my team's work, <laughs> you yes. know, to me, thank you Javier for that. Yeah. So that's COVID alert number two that you're referring yep. to on March 24th of 2020 that yep. specifically stated that if a person has comorbidities, pre-existing conditions, that those need to be moved to part two, what is not, which is not considered cause of death, and that COVID must be listed in part one, which is considered cause of death, so that they could inflate the counts, right? Mm -hmm. It's not an accident that the CDC still reports today 95% of all death certificates had on average four major comorbidities. Those, if we were to hold them against the 2003 handbook, there's the coroner, uh, there's there's the physician's uh, death certificate, or excuse me, uh, death recording handbook that the CDC publishes. The CDC publishes these handbooks, by the way, and they're used for every other cause of death. If we would have just used those medical examiner and coroner's uh, 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 handbook on death registration, if we would have mm -hmm. just used those, then... Our team is asserting right now, Javier, that there is roughly a little over 40,000 COVID deaths actually over the last two years. Okay. Yeah. Lines our, up with CDC data too. Our, our assertion, and this is, this, is, this is why we're calling for a full audit along with Joy Fritz yeah. and everything. This is why mm -hmm. we're calling for a full audit of all death certificates and medical records because our assertion right now is that more people have died from the experimental shots than from the COVID infections, mm -hmm. all right? And yes. then, and, 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 and you know what gets me about even the hyperinflated data? We know it's all fraudulent, but you know what really gets me? When right. you look at it, it's still not an emergency. Yeah. When you look <laughs> right. at it, they, they told us there were going to be 2.1 million deaths within the first year. We're, we are now over two years and they're, they're claiming 800,000, even by all their incredibly manipulated statistical categorizations, right? This is what mm -hmm. they're saying, right? Folks, when, if we would see, if we would have seen equal or relatively equal distribution of fatalities across all age demographics, then you could say pandemic, right? Exactly. It's, it's like, it's affecting everybody and it's kind of indiscriminate and it's freaky and it's scary and all that stuff. But when you see that over 75% of all death certificates were over 65 uh, years of age, 
Uh, and when you see that 95% of them, of all of them, have had over uh, 4.0 comorbidities on average. And when you see that the recovery rates in children under 18 are 99.99% and have been solid and held the entire two years. And when under 50, it's 99.82%. And this is all CDC data. You can verify it. I do this every week, folks. That's mm-hmm. why I'm a, I'm, I nerd out on numbers. All right. When you put all this together, I go, tell me why this is, if this is an emergency, then literally yeah. everything is an emergency. Exactly. Then yeah. Literally heart disease is an emergency. Diabetes is an emergency. Um, uh, you know, sniffles are an emergency. Every, if this is an emergency, it's, and it's not to take away yeah. from anybody's pain or tragedy of loss or anything. Right. It's just to say, just because someone dies doesn't make it an emergency. That's something yeah. that we have to accept. That's a part of life. Exactly. Well, you know, um, CDC has perfected the art with marketing companies and consulting companies. I'm sure, like McKinsey, mm-hmm. um, the the art of messaging, not matching data. Yep. They, yes. ha- they have been doing this for decades. Mm-hmm. Um, J.B. Handley's wonderful book on um, how yep. to end the autism epidemic. You know, yep. he pointed that out so well. And, you know, one of my favorite pages to go to on the CDC website is, you know, if you just search um, CDC vaccines autism, you'll get to a page that says vaccines in the plural do not cause autism. And then they give these citations, you know, mm-hmm. and my favorite is the one you click on it and it brings you to a study from a few years ago, the antigen study. And it compared one group of kids who got vaccines that had a certain level of, you know, the viral or bacterial component, not the whole vaccine, just compared how much was in the vaccines they got to that versus another group of kids also vaccinated, no control group, right. Mm -hmm. Who also got, and then, wow, lo and behold, both groups had autism. And so they declared that the level of antigens a child is exposed to was not related to autism. Okay, so that was their conclusion. And there's more. But but the way the CDC main page, which most people won't go beyond the description of the study, the yep. description just says this vaccination, this, this study is further proof that vaccines in the plural don't cause autism. Yep. No, it means that one kid could get one shot and get autism or one kid, it took 20 shots to get there. Yep. But, you know, I mean, it's, it was inconclusive, <clears throat> but it gets better because the authors who seems to be, you know, what is that CYA going on here? They yep. said in cases of regressive autism in which a child's developing normally and then begins to lose developmental skills, we cannot rule out environmental factors, including vaccines. Wow. This is the proof that the CDC, so their marketing message that goes to the world, vaccines don't cause autism, vaccines are safe and effective, is backed by something that says, well, they might. Yeah. Right, exactly. That's their that's their argument. You know, yeah. um, this this reminds me of uh, Dr. Paul Thomas and Dr. James Lyons Weiler's study where mm-hmm. they do have a control group, right? Yes. And it's very conclusive. And then you have, you know, Dr. Paul Thomas getting, of course, vilified for telling the truth. Yeah. That should be a sure sign that you're in a propaganda model if we didn't, unless we haven't studied World War II Germany, Nazi right. Germany, because that's where all this comes from. I mean, I got to yeah. tell you, Goebbels has got to be in his grave proud of what the CDC and Fauci and these marketing firms are doing it because he he said a couple things that were very important. If you can get things down to three word messages, safe and effective, 
you're going to be very successful. And if you repeat a lie long enough, it becomes truth in the mind of the uninformed. Right. Exactly. And he, and it's brilliant. It's, it's an evil brilliance. Right. But you know what Goebbels also said at the very end? (laughs) The truth always ultimately comes out. Fantastic. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Well, we've got our three word slogan, unsafe and unaffected. There we yeah. go. Uh, can I throw one it. at you? I got I got one yeah. that's a little bit different that I just came up with. All right. Because I was thinking about this and I was like, should I use unsafe and unaffected? Because it, it, we're over target, right? Right. Mm-hmm. So what about this? Injurious and ineffective. Yeah. Injurious. Injurious is hard to say, though. It is. So no, you got to spell. I don't even know how to spell injurious. Injurious? Injurious? maybe it's not a good one then how about about just harmful Harmful. how about how about we just say no we'll just just say no just say no just say no no. there's our three word phase just 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 say say no no. yeah i I do like it um but hey how about the three of us now because Mm -hmm. you know me i'm a pollyanna hopeful person Mm -hmm. we've hit hard on on, on the corruption and what's going on. But let's spend the remaining time we have here. Let's empower folks. Amen. Let's let's tell them about treatments. Let's tell them what they can do to try to help their person, their, their family member if they're in the hospital. But I know that's hard because you try it and, and it, ugh, the best thing is to try to keep your, your loved one out of the hospital. Um, and then action they can take to help stop the corruption. So let, let's start with um, everybody health? needs. Yeah. Everybody needs to build a COVID kit and they need to build it right now. Yep. Right. Right. So my, my, you know, naturopath, I, I, I've, I was just uh, in an expert forum last week in Yamhill County uh, supporting commissioner, Mary Starrett, who's doing a phenomenal job down there and commissioner Lindsay Burschauer, who's they're both doing great work on behalf of their people. And when I talk to them privately, the thing I love that comes out of their mouth all the time is I took an oath to be a servant to the people who elected me and to the people who didn't. They take their oath seriously. Yes. Right? So when I when I get that, I'm like, oh, Mary, I love you. You know, we have Mark Thielman, uh, who's running for governor, the the only the only superintendent in the United States that kept his schools open and is now taking the masks forcefully off of his kids and saying it's going to be an option as it should always be an option for parents to decide. Right. Yeah. And, and I'm going to interrupt people. right there just to let listeners know Mark Thielman is our next guest in the next Oh, hour. I'm setting him up. Okay, <laughs> yeah. There you go. He goes, see, this is, and, and I heard he's on Fox today too with, uh, oh, cool. you know, as well. So listen, we got to get people of high character and high integrity. We got to get them in front of the American people to know that, look, I, one thing that's been re- revealing for me, Bernadette, has been I thought that everybody in government was corrupt. Do you know how awesome it is to find out how wrong I was about that? Yeah. Right? It's like there are a lot of good people in elected. Mm-hmm. They just they're outnumbered. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and they're underfunded. But there are a lot of good people out there. And I think we have to do everything we can to encourage them, support them, get more people like them in, right? So, so when I, when we're talking about all of this, um, I was in this uh, expert forum, 
And, you know, of course, some of the people, of course, don't like me. And that's fine. I, it's, this isn't about me. You can exactly. have whatever opinion yeah. you want, <laughs> yeah. right? The, the facts don't have feelings. I'm bringing facts, baby. So uh, you, know, <laughs> you can talk whatever you want about me, right? Oh, he always wears glasses whenever I see him. He's got national aspirations. No, I have freedom <laughs> aspirations. I want to stop talking about COVID. I'm tired about it. And I want to stop killing people that I love. Please. That's where my aspirations are. So there you go. like you're saying, remember this phrase, Bernadette, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure, right? Okay. Yeah, so let's build this kit out. Vitamin D, baby. Vitamin mm -hmm. D3. Okay. Um, is what, and I'm going to say this for educational purposes, and I'm going to share what I do. I'm not telling anybody what to do, right? Yes. Vitamin D3, 5,000 I use is what I do. Vitamin C, about three to 5,000 milligrams is what I do. Um, vitamin A, I'll take, uh, I love my carrot juice. I have some carrots I'm going to be juicing up soon. Every glass is about 10,000, excuse me, about uh, almost 100,000 IUs of, uh, of uh, beta carotene, which is the precursor nice. to vitamin A. Love it. And then to activate that beta carotene, guess what you need? A little bit of zinc. A little bit yeah. of zinc in your life, baby. Right? <laughs> We're talking about zinc. Right? And if you're going to put zinc in your system, what do you need? A little zinc ionophore, right? There you go, Dr. Z. I love you, baby, right? Then you just put, and that pushes that zinc into the cell. And once the zinc gets into the cell, it starts activating all these wonderful enzymes and your body starts doing something miraculous. It starts working the way yeah. it was designed to work. See, disease just means that your body is malnourished. It's undernourished. It's nutrient deficient. Just give it the nutrients it needs yeah. and it does its job. And then of course we could talk about Sabine Hazen's work with probiotics and bifidobacteria, right? Oh, right? Yeah. And, and a mm -hmm. multivitamin to drive. But you know what I'm doing right now, Bernadette, that's really exciting and it's been right. really working is not eating. Oh right. yeah. Fasting, intermittent and fasting. The body is designed to heal if you just give it the chance. And that comes when we are hungry. The mm -hmm. most important thing, and I'm teaching on this on Sunday through a group called uh, EarthHeal.org, uh, mm -hmm. I think. I'm, mm -hmm. I'm on with Dr. McCullough and Geert Vanderbosch and, and Jessica Rose and some other incredible people, selfless, great people, right? And I'm, they brought me on and said, look, we know you know about the data, Doc. You're a nerd. Yeah, proudly. We know you've, you're talking all about fraud and you're not giving these people a safe harbor. You're damn right. I'm not. I'm not giving them a safe. There's no, not going to be a victory lap on my watch with this. Right. Right. But they said, can you tell everybody is so curious now about fasting? I said, you got to be kidding me. I, you're, 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 you're whispering sweet nothings in my ear right now. <laughs> people are curious and want to know about fasting. I thought that yeah. was going to be so fringe, but people want to know. So I'm going to be teaching about mm -hmm. fasting. One of the things I've done in the last, I've, I've been practicing intermittent fasting 16 hours uh, a day for like five years or something like that. Um, I've been practicing uh, three day, five day fasting. I've even done as much as I think, what have I done? 37 day fast one time when I was wow. much younger and had, didn't have COVID in my life. Right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, um, so, it, you know, there's the body is incredible at healing itself, but it, it, but it's, and it's also incredible at digesting, but it doesn't do both simultaneously. Right. You ah. have to give the body time to not eat so it can finish processing the damage from the metabolic process and heal up. Right. And that's why here's, here's the thing I can give your audience. This is the key. 
Because right now, Bernadette, I'm I'm up to 20 hours of fasting a day. I, I bumped it up because I was like, okay, I'm not going to be able to do a three or five day fast like I'd like to with all the work right now. Right. But I can get my body the time it needs to heal every day. Here's the best thing that I do for my body. I can tell you, I was running yesterday in the forest and I had one of my best runs that I've ever had. Um, the most important thing that I have found is that you have to be hungry every day. Yes. Do not put a single calorie, a sweetener in your coffee or your tea. Do not put anything that could turn off the body's innate healing mechanism until you have been hungry for a couple hours every day. All right. You Mm -hmm. do that. And now you are going to see your body perform like you wouldn't believe. Bernadette, I tell, I don't usually tell people how old I am and stuff like that. Cause most people think I'm in my thirties somewhere or something like that, you know, and they're yeah. like, oh, no, this guy, know what he's talking about. He's just, I don't care. I, I, I. You can hear these people all the time, right? Oh, <laughs> of course it's through a mask now as they're looking to, I, you know, and all that, right. It's like, you think I can't tell what you're thinking. Give me a break. Right. Um, yeah. Listen. So how um, old are you? <laughs> I, I am, I am two years away from 50. Oh, you're All a young right. pup. I'm a pup. I'm a pup. I'm a, I'm a year and a half away from 60. So I, I got man, right? well, you're, you're wearing it well, And you're looking great. Oh, right? Thank you. Because you're taking care of yourself. This nonsense that we have to, as we age, devolve into disease is preposterous. Right? Mm-hmm. We, if, if I can say one thing to everybody listening right now, it's this. Stop eating yourself to death. Yes. Wow. Beautiful. That's what's going on. Mm-hmm. I looked at this, the CDC data on hospitalized on hospitalizations, right? I actually cracked the code so we can decode now how many are specifically from COVID versus they're just counting as COVID, right? Right. Okay. You wow. know that it's like Massachusetts, yeah. like New York, like yeah. um, uh, New Jersey. It's mm-hmm. at forty nine percent. Forty nine percent of the hospitalizations they're saying are from COVID are actually from. Not from COVID. I have nothing to do with it. They just were people that they tested in there. It could be false positives, right? Exactly. So, mm-hmm. No yes. fraud there. No way to no, do no. fraud the American <laughs> people there. Right? So, so listen, listen. It's, it's like this. You look at the, the, the demographics, 4.0 comorbidities and 95% of death certificates. Over 50% of all COVID-specific hospitalizations, people are hospitalized for COVID were obese. Over 60% had hypertension and almost 40% had metabolic disease, which is a complication, a a secondary pathology due to diabetes. So Mm -hmm. when we look at this, it's like the the numbers and the data is slapping. It's not even laughing. It's slapping us in the face Mm -hmm. that this is one, not a pandemic, but it is a crisis of the unhealthy And if we are a compassionate society that has our humanity intact, we will look at every person that is unhealthy and do all we can to educate them on how to care for their body and respect them if they choose not to. Yes. But what we will not do is allow their fear to dictate our freedom. Exactly. Yeah. That's not going down anymore. I played that game for the last day in my life. I'm done. 
with that. Yeah, you're done. Yeah. And I like to, I like to say that my freedom doesn't end where your product failure begins. Amen. I'm going to take that one. I'm going to use that one next week at the state capitol. That's going with me. I will cite you like I cite everything okay. I do. I'll yeah. cite you. There's a quote from Bernadette. Baby. Yeah. No, right. no. Okay. I, it's okay. You can steal it. I don't care. I, I just no, I want I, it out there. Yeah, it's all I right. Can't. My, my belief system doesn't allow me to steal, so I won't. I will cite it and give you your due. <laughs> speaking, speaking of somebody with a poor memory, I, you know, I, I wouldn't hold, I wouldn't hold it to you. So don't worry about it. But, you know, you remind me of years ago when I was um, helping a friend who was going through cancer and they wanted to try a new drug on her. And mm-hmm. I was looking it up and the researchers said that what they were comparing it to was the gold standard of apoptosis and apoptosis right. is cancer cell death. And right. do you know what the gold standard of apoptosis is? What is it? I think I'm about to learn something new that's going to be (laughs) destructive to my belief system. Go for it. No, you're going to love it. Fasting. (laughs) So, so I'm like, okay, why didn't they just tell you to fast? And why are they bringing you jello and cookies when you're getting chemotherapy? Right. Yeah. Instead of, you know, just telling you to fast for, you know, intermittent fasting. Um, it was, you know, that was huge to me. So do you have any, um, could you recommend any resources for people who are now fascinated and want to learn about the healing power of fasting? Oh, oh 100%. So a couple great resources. First of all, um, what, I, uh, what, what I wanted to say, uh, I, the, the, this is me Friday at almost four o'clock after yeah. a week of COVID. <laughs> there goes that thought. Right? <laughs> okay, so forget that thought. It's out of here. So resources. Walter Longo, Dr. Longo out of the University of Southern California in the United States is one of the, is in my opinion, the most accomplished expert on fasting. And he has proven that it has clinical efficacy at least equal to that of chemotherapy in cancer yes. situations. It is, he does brilliant work. Just look, look up Google Walter, V-A-L-T-E-R, Longo, and you will get to his foundation and he has lists all of his research out there. It's beautiful, but that's not a lot of people don't like to read. Nothing pains people right now more than reading sometimes, huh? Right. Right. So so let me, let me, let me step back from that. Okay. Cause I I get it. We we work all day. We got kids running around screaming and stuff like that. I just, just give me a podcast or something, doc. Yes. Okay. Go to, go to YouTube and Google or excuse me, go to YouTube and Google. I'm, I'm, (laughs) Go, go to YouTube and search for The Science of Fasting. Okay. It's a wonderful documentary. Walter Longo is actually in it. They take you around the world showing how other cultures look at it and the clinical efficacy of fasting. There are actually fasting centers throughout the world where you can go right. and it's like a spa experience. You're just not eating. That's what you're not going to do. You're going to do yoga and sweat and get, get massage and get your body nice. And it's possible to feel great. And that's what fast. I haven't eaten yet today. I was supposed to eat it too. I haven't eaten, put anything in there. I get more work done. And I'm, you know, aside from these little brain farts on the radio show, (laughs) I get more work done when, you know, when, when I'm not eating. right? Right. So, so mm-hmm. to me, those are two great resources. Something we're doing at the school. We've been, Bernadette, after we did COVIDCon, we mm-hmm. got flooded with um, people reaching out to us. And I got to tell you, every day it's a tragic. I try to call and mm. as many yeah. people as I can back to mm-hmm. say, look, I want you to at least know you're not alone. Even if I can't help you, 
I still mm -hmm. want you to know that I care and you're not alone. Mm -hmm. So we're on with these families. The stories are just epically tragic in many cases. Um, but there are, there are some triumphs also through there, which mm -hmm. is, which is great. And, you know, when, when we, when we got all this back, I said, you know, I have to teach. I was getting so tired last year after the, after the conference and everything. And I was like, I'm so tired of this. My soul is tired, but I can't stop. Right. You know, I got to go on. How do I go on? And I said, doc, the one thing you forgot what you're about is you're a teacher. You know, you're trying to argue with people to be right instead of just teaching and letting people decide for themselves, you know? Mm -hmm. So what I've started doing is saying with COVID is saying, there's only two things I'm ever going to talk really about. And that is what you can do for yourself health-wise with COVID and um, exposing the fraud. That's all there I'm going to talk about, right? That's, if there's Beautiful. nothing worth talking about, in my opinion, other than those two things. So um, what we decided to do at the school, at the Energetic Health Institute, is um, we put together a um, do-it-yourself learning management system. Mm -hmm. So now people, if you want to go and watch COVID uh, con and watch all those videos and all, get all that amazing information from all those people, you can still do it. Uh, $50 gets you a lifetime access to it. But what we're releasing next week, and this just came out in the, in the science, is the power of CBD, right? Oh. Ah. With this, right? So we're, we're releasing our, um, our cannabis, uh, our, med our medicinal cannabis courses next week. And right after that, I'm hoping by weeks in next week, we're going to release a course on fasting. Oh, that okay. is so fantastic. So Let's give everybody my, the, go ahead. Oh, my.energetichealthinstitute.org. You can go to my.energetichealthinstitute.org. And, uh, and we're happy to help as many people as we can. We're, we're dedicated and I got a great team behind me. So, um, and if uh, folks want to get updated information, Bernadette, they can find me on uh, the America Out Loud platform. Um, I do a weekly radio show and folks, I do a weekly article. You'll love them. So we'd love oh, to have you over there too. That is so fantastic. We've run up against the top of the hour. Thank you, Dr. H for being on the show and Dr. X. We are uh, going to a break. When we come back, we're going to have Mark Thielman. Um, you've been listening to an Inform Life Radio on 1150 AM KKNW. We'll be right back. Hi, I'm Lynn Redwood president of the nonprofit Children's Health Defense. Our chairman, Robert F. Kennedy Jr., and our entire team are devoted to ending the epidemic of illnesses and disorders plaguing our children today. Through legal action, we're working to hold industries and government agencies accountable and to establish safeguards to prevent further harm. We're working overtime during this COVID-19 crisis to keep you informed about the politics and science of rush vaccine candidates. Freedom and our children's futures have never been more in jeopardy. But we can succeed. With your help, we can stop the devastation and give our children and grandchildren the healthy future they deserve. To learn more about what we're doing and how you can help, visit childrenshealthdefense.org and sign up for our free news. Please visit childrenshealthdefense.org today. Are you suffering from a sinking feeling that the COVID-19 pandemic is being blown out of proportion and that nothing in the news is making any sense? If so, then there is a fact-based, science-driven news show designed just for you. 
My name is Del Bigtree, and I am the host of The High Wire, the world's most trusted news source in digital media when it comes to accurate, science-based reporting on the COVID-19 pandemic. From COVID-19 vaccine development to mask mandates, school shutdowns to job layoffs, The High Wire goes beyond providing you with the most accurate, evidence-based investigations. We send you links to the sources for all of our reporting so that you can further your own investigation and come to your own informed conclusions. High above the agenda-driven circus of mainstream media, we do not run. We do not hide from the truth. Instead, we walk the high wire. If you care about truth, then join us on Instagram, Twitter, Roku, and our website, thehighwire.com. Informed Choice Washington is a nonprofit organization that advocates for healthy immunity, medical freedom, and fully informed medical consent. The right to make medical choices without coercion is fundamental to our civil liberties and a basic principle in all human rights declarations. To learn more, tune in each Friday from 3 to 5 p.m. to an Informed Life Radio and visit the website informedchoicewa.org. It's time to take a stand for medical freedom. Go to informedchoicewa.org today. We need a revolution. There's only one solution. I need somebody to show me, somebody to show me love. We need a revolution. Welcome back to an Informed Life Radio on 1150 AM KKNW. I'm your host, Bernadette Pager, and with me is my co-host, Javier Figueroa, who goes by Dr. X on the screen here. Hello. Um, hi, that was a fantastic first hour. I love Dr. H. Um, on the break, I went and found the Science of Fasting video. Um, and I did find a, a, a YouTube video is like a two minute introduction and it's just astounding. Um, so I'm looking forward to watching that and, and actually trying it because I, you know, I, I'm just really excited about this long known uh, approach to health and healing right. that um, is so easy and yet so difficult for, you know, because you know, we are all, food is such an important part of our lives. Exactly. Trying, you know, um, I, I know how challenging uh, that can be. And right now I'm so hungry. My stomach is growling. So yeah. <laughs> and it's been, a, go ahead. And, and the science of it is, is so strong. The, the term that I think uh, is called autophagy, which is how the body starts eating dead or senescent cells as wow. part of the, as part of the, uh, uh, as part of the fasting system. And what happens is that because you're fasting, your body releases human growth hormone, which then tells your muscles or tells the body, don't eat muscle, don't eat the body's protein, but then actually allows for the fat cells to release their materials. But also if there's not enough fat to start eating dead cells or cells that are just not, not that healthy. So wow. that's why it attacks the tumors. And it's been very effective. I've seen you know a lot of good studies where they fasted mice and rats with tumors wow. and, you know, it delays the progression of the tumor incredibly or, oh, or even stops the tumor. Yeah. 
That is so amazing. Yeah. So we're going to do some more shows on fasting and, and all these positive things that you can do to empower yourself to stay healthy. Um, so our next guest, though, I'm very excited to have him on. He's been on a couple of times before. His name is Mark Thielman. He's the superintendent of a school in Oregon who has just been fantastic. What Basically what he's done is put the health of his young charges, the students in his school system, he's put their health first ahead of politics and ahead of the pressure to to do what's expected. You know, he did what was best for the children. Um, he's also running for governor, but I just want to say that out there for full disclosure, because, you know, we're a nonprofit and we can't support or oppose candidates, but we can talk about legislation. Um, so I just want to say in this season of people running for office, I would invite anybody who is also running for governor of Oregon to come on the show and let's talk about how help children and how to keep them healthy and about the polix, politics and policies. You know, you think I'll get any takers or maybe I shouldn't even touch that. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, welcome, uh, Mark, to the show. Well, thanks for having me, Bernadette. Yeah, it's just, it's such a pleasure. I heard that you you were uh, interviewed on another uh, major network uh, today. I was on, uh, yeah, I was on Fox um, News, uh, the Ingram Angle, uh, earlier today. And they nice. Did. Wow, that, that's pretty cool that, that my guests are, are, are on, you know, a major news outlet and then come into the little O Inform Live radio. I, I feel mm -hmm. honored. <laughs> We've had some amazing guests on this show, though, I tell you. You know, did we started our very first ep, uh, show more than two years ago was um, Dr. Andrew Wakefield. So we hit the ground running with with people that have been out there and, and known. So, um, you know, since we last talked, a whole lot has happened. Um, where, where would you like to begin this conversation about what's going on? Uh, well, just so people people know. So I'm the uh, Alsi School District Superintendent. We were the we're mostly known for at least up until this week. We we've been best known as the little school district that stayed open K through 12 during COVID, and got through the entire school year without any cases that could be traced back to the school classroom, which was a big deal. Um, yeah, uh, we were the ones that were attacked in November December by the government mainly because they had set metrics that were impossible to ever meet, and then it looked like schools would never be open. And, Mm -hmm. uh, and then here's this little school district not having the outbreaks that that literally the Oregon Health Authority had promised everybody would happen. And mm -hmm. uh, and so, you know, naturally, you would think the government would respond and say, hey, what are you doing? You know, what can we do to replicate this? And instead, they told everybody, well, Alcee's an outlier because it's a little community. But they forgot that we are a charter school and over half our students are bused in from major urban areas like Corvallis and Philomath. And that was inconvenient for them because I said, no, based on the fact that we're busing kids in from these hotspots by the Oregon uh, State University, mm -hmm. we should be having more outbreaks instead of fewer outbreaks. Which Exactly. And um, so that led to uh, some things where, you know, obviously it contributed to schools being surprised opened up in January. And, and we felt really good about that. Then we hit the fall with the Delta and it's a different virus. So I sent out notification to parents saying, hey, um, I understand masking is a real sensitive issue because the governor had announced in June that the era of masking was over and that uh, she talked on and on about the negative implications of masking and why we should never go back. And then 
uh, six weeks later said, hey, we're going back. So that, that naturally was inconvenient. And, and remember, this is, uh, we were being told with Delta that all schools will be open. So they basically said no schools can close except for egregious circumstances. And while the Oregon Department of Education remained closed to the public and uh, because uh, for fear of the safety of the workers and the, the Governor Brown, the same thing, they closed the, the legislature. Uh, this is the old uh, uh, rules for thee, but not for me mm-hmm. kind of thing. And so she, I ended up in the national news around that one as well, the AP, um, because she tried to malign me and say that I was being offensive by offering uh, uh, Americans with Disabilities Act exemptions to masking, which was part of her mandate. So here she wrote it in the mandate. I just said, parents, here's how this works. The, these are your options if you don't want your child masked or you want some accommodations around masking, like maybe mm-hmm. not mask as much. Mm-hmm. So um, she, she said, you know, you're Mr. Thielman, you're being offensive to every parent of a child with disability, forgetting that I'm a parent of a severely disabled child. And so mm-hmm. got 17 minutes of, of education all the previous school year. And um, but but they sent me a report card saying she'd attended every day and passed all her classes. This is this is the product of really failed leadership from wow. government, the Oregon Health Authority, Department of Education and anyone else who is complicit with this insanity. Mm-hmm. But it got worse. So we came in the spring. Bottom line is my school board said we're you know, we're getting a lot of heat about masking. And the Samaritan Health Services in our area said that you can no longer wear a cloth or paper mask into the hospital because they're not effective at slowing the spread of Omicron. I don't know about you guys, but if your local medical facilities make an announcement like that and then the local newspaper picks it up and puts it on their cell phone flash alert, all of a sudden we had all these kids refusing to wear masks in the school. Well, mm-hmm. they got a flash alert from the Gazette Times from Corvallis, and they're saying, Mr. Taylor, we shouldn't have to wear masks. They don't work. <laughs> we re- so the school board responded with a resolution on January 13th, and uh, they said we are taking back. They directed me to take back local control and for us to write our own COVID policy. So um, I did that. I waited a week, and then we implemented, and um, in which we are going to make masking optional if you want to wear a mask, wear a mask. If you want your child mask, we'll support you. If you don't want your child mask, that's fine. It's a decision that parents get to make, and we will kind of muddle through. Right. I, I want to point something out here that is so extremely frustrating. Um, and first of all, I just want to say there's a little background noise. I don't know where it's coming from. So if either of you have got something in the background um, going on. But, you know, Ever since the whole idea of masking came out, we've been circulating the science, a lot of it pre-COVID science on flu um, and masks showing they don't work. They won't stop. And especially as worn by the general public with the touching and the removing and, you know, and not replacing as soon as it's damp. And, you know, all of that science we've been saying over and over and over. But if the media is not repeating what we're saying, it's as if, it doesn't exist. And, and it's just amazing to me that parents would hear on a news station an about face that suddenly, oh, for Omicron, the cloth masks don't work. As if it worked for Delta and the original, it never worked. But that new messaging, I mean, they've got the most evil, brilliant marketing people behind them, these people pushing all this. Um, and then suddenly people are willing to buy it. It is it is really strange to me, but it shows why we need ethical journalists. 
because none of this could have been perpetrated upon our children had journalism's been doing their job. Yeah. Okay. So this is great. So you've got a resolution by your school board now um, who's heeding the media, (laughs) if not the science. And, and so masking is optional for your school. Mm -hmm. And the, the government responded by, you know, with the full jack boot. So, you know, I'm, I'm going to be, I was turned into the teacher standards and practice commission. So basically they're threatening my, my superintendent's license. Uh, they froze our ECR funds, which are ironically that the state would freeze federal funds that were supposed to come to uh, school districts. The reality of it is, is, you know, let's pretend we all made a hundred thousand a year. So what, what proportion of that, if that was our school budget, what proportion uh, did they freeze? And it would be $18. So I think we're going to, I think we're going to be just fine. Good. Uh, we're now being threatened with a maximum $136,000 OSHA fine. Um, okay. Well, if we have to pay that, so be it. And the reason is, is that we respect our parents. We respect um, where all our families land. If they land in the support of masking, if they want to upgrade to N95, or if they want no mask at all, we support that. And the reality of it is, is that each individual person, we have to get back to each individual person being allowed to assess their own situation, their own comfort with risk. And the only way to, to really do that is to tell people the truth. And like I told my staff and other people who um, maybe are a little bit more open to the, the media narrative, if you are worried, wear a mask. It's that simple. The, the, no more discussion needs to be had. Wearing a mask works if you believe it works. <laughs> okay. Well, you know, yeah. I, I think one really key point here is this, is our schools should not be uh, forced to become nurses and doctors and dictators of medicine that you're there to teach children reading, writing, and arithmetic. Right. And, you know, that's, that's the job of the school. It's the job of the parent to protect the health of the child and to make those medical decisions. And we've seen that creep of medicine into schools, you know, and in Washington state, and in many other states, more and more, they're bringing actual clinics into the school and, and it's becoming your place to get medicine. That is such a dangerous thing to do. Um, is you know, science has never settled on medicine. And, you know, so just trying to have that division. So it's it's the job of people like me who've kind of stepped up during all this to be a public voice to make sure that parents have the information they need to make an informed decision. But you in the role of superintendent, you're respecting each parent's decision, right? You're not, you know, you've done your homework and you know what masks can or can't do, but you're not pushing your interpretation of the science on parents. That's not your role. Well, in order to do that, one, I'd have to be closed minded. Yeah. Um, And uh, that is never a good place to be if you're going to be a superintendent who truly, truly cares about each and every student and family. The only way you can reach every family, especially uh, families that are really struggling or on the fringe or maybe maybe have an alternative uh, makeup or lifestyle, uh, you have to be open-minded. Mm-hmm. It is not our place. Mm-hmm. My personal uh, conclusions are, are not valuable in that situation because what matters is connecting with those students and serving those families and helping those students learn how to read, write, do math, and become competent, capable, caring contributing citizens. That is what our charge is. 
So the, you can see the beauty of it. We are not opposing the mandate. We didn't, we're not saying uh, masks or no masks anymore. Uh, that's not what we're doing. We said, we're going to apply. We're going to take the best science out there. We're going to apply the recommendations of the Oregon Health Authority, um, you know, which is to mask and vaccinate in spite of a mountain of evidence that, that, that those two tactics no longer work. It, it just absolutely fascinates me. And, um, and um, you know, cherry picking this or that, it, it's crazy. So what we do is we say, we're not going to get involved in trying to convince people right, wrong, or indifferent. We're going to say, for parents who want a mask, mask, or staff, step, parents, staff, you want to wear a mask, wear a mask. If you don't want to wear a mask, don't wear a mask. Make your own determination. And, and if you want your child masked, we will support you. And that's the power of it. Notice it's very different from what the media wants to report, which yeah. um, the hit pieces have come out. And, um, you know, and you have to accept that. And, you know, it's, you know, Thielman bad. Thielman bad. <laughs> I don't know. I, you know, anymore, it seems like if, if the media is saying you're bad, you're, Hey, you're on the right track. <laughs> it, it's good. It's good to be bad right now in the eyes oh. of the media. Cause you're not, they're just parroting what the powers that be want to do, which is not science-based. I mean, it's just appalling that a couple months ago, um, leader of a state would acknowledge harms of masking and then do an about face. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and the situation has not changed. The the science and the physical dynamics of a mask and what they can and cannot do have not changed. Children's susceptibility to these variants has not changed. Um, just the talking points have changed. This is as oddest war of of words. You know, it's really amazing how words can be so powerful. And sometimes I I wonder why is it so complicated to be a human being? I mean, you don't see the squirrels out there playing these head games on each other, right? And it's just, it's really bizarre to me how um, how we manipulate each other with, with language. and, and sometimes Well, it's I'm called here. being dishonest. <laughs> yeah, I know it. Right? And, and, and again, dishonesty, you have to go beyond dishonesty. Why are they being dishonest? It has to do with power and control. Oh, yeah. It also oh, has yeah. to do... I mean, imagine how these people came out and told the truth. Hey, we got it completely wrong, which is yeah. what the Oregon Health Authority has done time and time and time and time and time. Yeah. Um, you know, and they're wrong again on test to stay, for example. Um, yeah. We were doing test to stay in, in LC in the first week of September because I could tell this virus was moving much more quickly than the previous one. Mm-hmm. And we had and I had parents who were trained in under the previous virus. And they were like, why aren't you why aren't you closing or quarantining or why aren't you? And uh, I said, well, it's a different virus. The mandate is different. So I had to do a lot of communication to parents, which I found mm-hmm. out from the OSHA investigation, because naturally they sent OSHA. The OSHA people complimented us. They said, man, your communications with your parents are excellent. I said, what are you talking about? Every mm-hmm. school district's communicating with parents. And she said, Linda Patterson uh, in the Salem office said, uh, no, we've been in other districts and uh, your communications have been excellent. I said, well, what's the difference? She said, well, you're kind of telling them the, what to do and, and what they can do, and and you're inviting them to work with you. Well, isn't that the way we're supposed to, isn't that yeah. how, what, what the definition of community is? Yeah. Um, so we were doing three days isolation and test. Mm-hmm. And OHA had sent us uh, some test kits, by the way, which were expired, which was a little weird, but don't worry. They're still good. Well, that's not the way it's supposed to work, but okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
and and when they found out that we were doing that, OHA said refused to send us any more tests, and they said you are abusing these tests. And then six weeks later, um, they implemented test to stay. So you tell me who I'm going to side with. How about we and LC do our own thing? Because we've consistently shown that that we do our homework, we try to set policy right, we don't judge, we reach out to all our families, and we have been in the fore on the forefront time and time again, and ironically shaping policy in Oregon. Here's the problem, though, because the government doesn't have any ideas; they're always six weeks behind. Yeah. So here yeah. we have Omicron, where we have people getting symptomatic and they're testing and they're testing negative, and what do they do? Well, it's not. You know, I'm going to stay home, but it's not COVID. So they go to the store, they go to the pizza parlor, they go check out a game or their, you know, their kid's game or nephew's game. Um, you know, they might even run into work to grab something. Well, what, are the, what do you end up spreading? So I, I, you know, I'm directing my, all of my people. If you're symptomatic, student, parent, volunteer, or staff person, I want you to test. And if you test negative, I want you to isolate for three days. And on the third day, I want you to test again. Because what we're finding is by the third day, if their symptoms are getting worse, then this then the test picks it up. Mm. And it's not a cold, it's Omicron. And I already, so I sent the word to the Benton County Health Department saying, hey, you need to change this. You need to push this up the chain ASAP. Mm-hmm. And they said, well, we'll try to get a, a team together. Uh, and by the way, this was a week ago and we're meeting this next week. Wow, good for you. <laughs> Yeah. A a couple of things before I forget, I don't, so again, I don't know where you're, what you do as far as uh, educating about treatments, but gargling and nasal flushes are so important daily. Mm -hmm. If you've been exposed, it will. And, or if, you know, have you seen the studies? It's fantastic. I mean, in five days, they can't even uh, measure any viral load anymore for people who are actively sick. And so if you, if you encourage them to do the nasal flushes with the iodine solution and, and gargle with either mm-hmm. Listerine or that iodine, probably in three days, even if they had Omicron, it wouldn't show, or if they had a cold, you know, um, and it will definitely keep their symptoms, um, according to the studies, um, milder. Mm-hmm. Um, but what amazes me is that you, you, you always followed the law, but you followed it you follow the parts of the law that the government doesn't want people to follow, which is respect medical exemptions. If, if a parent sees that a child is just not doing well for what academically, socially, emotionally, psychologically um, being in a mask every day, then that qualifies for a medical exemption. It should not harm your health. And um, you know, Right now, even with the vaccine, so many places, they're denying people's medical exemptions. They would have Guillain-Barre or myocarditis from the first shot. And if they don't get the second shot, their employer is firing them. Mm-hmm. What? I mean, the absurdity of this. But here you are working within the system, following the law, respectful of both the law and the and your parents and the children's health. And you're getting in trouble for following the law. <laughs> well, of course, because, um, you know, this goes back to power and control. All right, I, actually, hold on. I was saying law. I, everybody out there, it was mandate. not law. It was like mandates, governor's orders, emergency stuff. None of this is law. None of this is. Mm-hmm. 
Well, as I shared with uh, several local news stations, I actually educated them on the difference between uh, an administrative rule and a law. Then yeah. administrative rules, can they're considered to have the force of law because they're kind of the, the pra practical way to take all that legalese yeah. law language and just make it practical. These are the rules that you follow. Um, the problem is, is that if you look at the actual laws that these administrative rules are based on, they have nothing to do with Omicron. They have to do with some ubiquitous emergency in which OHA will define yeah. uh, well. That's not the same standard. And so the, the thing is, I can choose to disagree with the attorneys general's um, Oregon administrative rule. Mm -hmm. That's what it is. We have a difference of opinion about the rule. Okay. And so, um, you know, it's, it's a riot because I've been telling the news. Look, I can't help it if OHA news is or have become the, the state's leading science deniers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I am not responsible for that. Mm -hmm. However, as a biology major and science guy myself, former science teacher and someone who's my, my hobby is reading any kind of study I can read about almost anything, a little bit of a, I'm nerding myself out a little bit. So, yeah. but, <laughs> so did our last guest. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, the thing about it is, is uh, uh, that's not up to me. The thing is, I don't want to lie to people. I don't want to lie to people and say that that mask that is ill-fitting because you've had it on all day, and it's soaking wet. And, um, um, you know, even if you change it out, I, I don't want to tell them that that mask is actually providing them good protection. And this is what OHA did is they, they changed their wording when they saw that that paper and cloth masks weren't going to be effective. Remember what they did. They're very, very cunning. They put in the word well-fitting to their prior standard. Mm. Well, the thing is, there isn't a school in this state that could credibly look at any camera uh, or themselves in the mirror at the end of the day and said, we made sure every mask was well-fitted all day without exception in a, in a high school of a thousand kids. I mean, come on. See? And and so, even then it, it cannot, it, still, even if it's well-fitting, it ain't working. <laughs> well, of course. Look, yeah. we know that science says that, um, yeah. but, uh, let me give you an example, and this is, is a little bit of humor because I testified against the uh, permanent mask mandate, mm -hmm. and I said that that OHA has killed the four C's: Cre uh, competence, because competent people wouldn't write these rules. Exactly. Uh, yep. Credibility, credibility, um, and I told him I said I know you have no credibility because I was in the the Pioneer graveyard, and there's a big grave tombstone. It says, "Here lies OHA's credibility," and I said, <laughs> hey, "You guys are the experts, so I have a question for you." Did it die with COVID or because of COVID? <laughs> oh. Listen, when they came out, but I'm serious about this. How can yeah. they look themselves in the mirror? This is insane. You have no, I told them, you have no credibility. And because you have no competence and no credibility, you have crushed any semblance of confidence that any parent or high school or middle school student who received yeah. those news flashes from Samaritan Health Service might have had in the efficacy of masking. They destroyed confidence in masking. Yeah. And so yeah. what is their response? Well, common sense would say you get ahead of it and you declare the end of masking. Yes. So that's not what they do. They've killed common sense. They said masking and, and boosters are the only are the best protection. No, come on. Come on. Well, you know, Mark, I don't know how active you were pre-COVID in working with health, the Oregon Health Department, Health Authority, um, but I got to tell you, integrity and ethics and common sense died a long time ago 
with public health agencies. Um, me working with Informed Choice Washington, we have petitioned our Board of Health on several counts, trying to pointing out the science of something. And they'll just come back with nothing and shut us down because it's not about common sense. It's not about science. It's not about doing what's um, right for the children. It has, it's always about what the powers above say they must do, political expedience, all that sort of stuff. But, but I, but COVID put it on steroids, put, you know, I mean, any remaining common sense definitely died. Well, and I could, <laughs> Big gas. The thing is, it's really important for everyday citizens, just regular citizens who are trying to live their lives to really, really sit down and become very cognizant of the way these agencies manipulate the truth. Mm -hmm. uh, I was on a little radio show. Uh, it was hilarious. Um, I think it was KPNW. I don't want to out him, but hilarious. A uh, couple of guys there. Um, I think his name was Bill. And of course, he was asking these really good questions about, you know, the, the resolution, what we're doing in LC. And, um, and I brought up the integrity problem uh, with OHA. And um, <laughs> uh, of course, that caused him to chuckle, you know, and and I said, yeah. I said, well, I said, now let me give you even more evidence. If you go to the Oregon Health Authority right now, their website, they will cite a study that uh, the CDC, or they will have a reference to the CDC that cites a study. And here's the study, and it has to do with Delta. In the first six weeks of the upswing of Delta, they were noting more, they had more non-vaccinated people, um, uh, uh, you know, pursuing medical help, either a hospital or a doctor visit. Um, and then six weeks in, uh, that changed. So, so within 12 weeks of that Delta surge, which we remember, um, there were three times the number of vaccinated people uh, pursuing medical or hospitalization. And it's right there in black and white. Mm -hmm. What? Mm -hmm. Here's the best part. So their conclusion of that study is... We need to do more vaccinating and wear a mask. Now, what's somebody the, told me. Yeah. And what's the what's definition of insanity? Yeah. It makes no uh, sense. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I have a, three times the number of people in the hospital yeah. vaccinated with Delta. That might be a clue that the vaccine is not protecting you. <laughs> yeah. So what do they do? So I have a common sense. More vaccines. Out the window. What? It's, I mean, you know, let me give yeah. an example. It's in the paper today. You know, um, a, a third dose can can re, you know re, give your uh, uh, for Omicron is a ninety five percent survivability. If you end up in the hospital, you won't die if you get a third dose. That's not true. It's not even close to not true. Look, if you get Omicron and you're healthy, you have a ninety nine point nine nine two percent chance of surviving without a shot <laughs> sounds like yeah. it lowered your chance of surviving yes if you go into the details of the study these are people with four indices they might have diabetes they might have a, a cardiopulmonary disease yeah. they might have a whole host of things they're not healthy to begin with yeah and for right. those people they, they died at a slightly lower rate. Yeah. Well, they're not dying of Omicron. No. They're, they're dying with 
And it's weird that the narrative is changing. Um, Newspapers are beginning to report that hospitals are admitting, you know, who's with, who's admitted, you know, they broke their leg, they came in, we automatically test because you get paid to automatically test. Um, But they have no symptoms. So it's, they're beginning to separate those numbers. Um, Javier, did you have a point, you know? Oh, just had a quick yeah. question uh, yeah. from Mr. Thielman. Uh, you know, because he had this uh, early discussion, early um, conversation with the parents, how, how is this, you know, during the pandemic, during all the, the changes that have been going, how have the parents, the community responded to your leadership with regard to, to the school? Well, let's apply real science. So um, motivated parents email. They will email me directly or they'll text or they'll call the district. So we, we keep track of all that. Um, and so I told my assistant, Shirley, okay, Shirley, um, let's make a stack. So print off every email of support and then print off every email that's not supportive. I said, and then keep a, a page so that we know the number. And she said, why? I said, well, because the people that aren't supportive write these, you know, nine page dissertations on why I'm the devil. Uh, the people who are supportive, write These short paragraphs. I said, so we want to know the number. So what's the number of supportive emails were there? We're over well over a hundred when I left work yesterday and we're a four day school week. So we've been, we're closed today and uh, believe me, it doesn't slow down, but anyway, so we have well over a hundred plus supportives and we had uh, 12 negatives. Nice. You do the math. I mean, for a while there, I was thinking two out of three, but as time went on, the supportive started to outpace the negatives. And the, the thing is, well, why is that? Well, if you calculate, so then I told the, my assistant, hey, let's see which ones are in our parents that are that we're directly serving versus people from all over the state. So when we shuffled out and we did all that, seven um, uh, emails for parents that we actually serve that in our school community were positive and three were negative. So seven, seven out of 10 parents approve. And wasn't that a commercial with toothpaste? Seven out of ten, <laughs> or, or agree that fluoride in your toothpaste is something like that. It was back in the seventies, yeah. but anyway. Yeah. Um, so the thing is, you know, that's leadership. So why did we do mass optional? Well, we know we've got, you know, let's just round down and say two. We got two families that don't want a mask, and one family that's going to want a mask. Well, how do we keep ourselves unified? Mm-hmm. How do we honor both sides? Exactly. See? Because right now the minority is saying that the majority must bend to their will because OHA says so, and OHA isn't telling us the truth. They have no no uh, credibility. They they mm-hmm. they abandon all competence and they kill mm-hmm. common sense. I don't know. Would you have that person over for dinner? I don't. No. I, nope. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it, there is like you know the saying going around about mass psychosis. It's just amazing how you can have conversations with somebody and they just you give them point blank facts. Let's just discuss the facts. And they just sort of blink at you. It's like they, it can't penetrate. Like they've got this armor of psychosis that refuses to take in anything um, against the narrative of what they've been following for so long. And it's going to be a hard journey to awaken them. Go ahead. I don't want to monopolize, but I'm rolling. You guys got me on. No, you're our guest. Go for it. (laughs) So listen, when you when you look at the insanity of, of some of this stuff, for example, good, competent policy needs to be written 
in a manner that looks down the road and says, if we implement this, what are the externalities, both positive and negative? Mm-hmm. And they, they don't do that in OHA. And if they mm-hmm. do, I'd like, I don't know. I, I, I'm just going to be honest with you. If they do, nobody knows. Because what they did is, for example, they said they, they tried to divide us by vaxxed and unvaxxed. And I told my staff, we are not going to divide against vaxxed or unvaxxed. And I had passionate members of my staff saying, you know, I don't want to work in this building with it. And, and I said, hey, wait a minute, wait a minute. This was before the, the 5 to 11 vaccine. Right. I said, listen, everybody. I said, I'm the superintendent. I'm just telling you where I'm at. I'm sure the, you know, the board's welcome to override me, which they didn't. I said, but we need to look down the road at, at what's the implications of this if the state follows through with implementing this, which you know they did. And I said, if we as adults accept that we are going to divide each other between vaxxed and unvaxxed, that means we're going to do that to our kids. And it you could have heard a pin drop in that staff meeting. And it shut the whole argument down. Everybody on both sides was like, oh, wait a minute, nobody wants to divide kids by vaxxed or unvaxxed. Mm-hmm. Well, that's exactly what OHA just had a hearing on last Monday. It was to make vaccine mandate. Well, they took the kid part out because they knew that was a dead loser, but now they're going to do it to staff. And so I told everybody, if you want a religious exemption, not an exception, which they lied to people, mm-hmm. and they forced people to go through a process so they could say they gave due process. That's, you don't, if you put a gun to somebody's, back and say, sign this, go to this meeting, admit that. That's not, that's not due process. That's coercion. Yeah. So in my school district, this shows you the ineptness. Let's talk about lack of confidence. OHA sends their, they require everyone to use their form for religious exemption or exception. They send it to my computer. I then take it and I go, hmm, this is odd. So I convert it to a Google Doc. And then I convert it back to a word process, or a, um, a window document, and all of the security is gone. And I rewrote the whole page. <laughs> and I wrote, "This district will support you, person who is seeking a religious exemption." I took mm-hmm. out exception. I put the word exemption. I said, "We will support you yes. even if it creates an undue hardship." And here's why: we can barely, we can, we're we're always hiring. I mean. It, you know, having good, competent people who are reliable to work, uh, you know, and we were looking at the time at, at, at having, uh, you know, again, 30% of our staff being let go. Okay. So these are the external externalities that OHA should have thought about, but they didn't because they thought, well, once people are faced with losing their job, they'll abandon their religious values because they're not sincere. And they, well, ironically, there may have been a few people that did, but not an LC. But not exactly. See? So, and I'm unvaccinated. I filled out my own religious exemption. Uh, It was approved by HR, of course, separately. And uh, the comedy of it is, is everyone just went right through and kept working. Our neighbors ran out of subs, ran out of aids, um, you know, instructional assistance and all that. It created this labor crisis. And so what did the government do? They said, you know what, that college degree all these requirements that we spent the last 20 years putting in to be a teacher, none of that matters. You got a high school degree, you can and uh, you can get an emergency substitute license. This is insanity. Okay, I got one more layer of insanity in in Washington. There was a, a bill, the language I, I didn't linger on it, but it was something to the effect of high school students who are studying medicine. Maybe they're in a Running Start program or something. 
could be allowed to help out at hospitals. Well, that makes they're sense. so short of staff. Let's bring in high school students. Again, yeah. so let's <laughs> let's throw out all accountability and all yeah. credibility. And the thing is, you can't question these people on it, or they'll turn you into the Teacher Standards and Practice Commission, like with yeah. me. So just so you know, I've been under investigation more times than I can count, and I'm comfortable with it. And I want people to understand that because if you're going to do right in this culture that we're trying to exist in with these one party state or, you know, governments that are dominated by one party, mm -hmm. um, you have to fight. Yeah. You have to take a position and you better be tough. And I never considered myself a tough guy. I'm, you know, I'm like, I look like a toothpick with the, uh, <laughs> um, but what I'm finding is, is I cannot look myself in the mirror and lie to myself. I'm, so I'm going to tell, um, I'm going to, sorry to interrupt. I'm going to tell radio listeners and podcast listeners that he is not a toothpick with, you know, he, he's a very handsome fella. So just well, thank you. so you know, he's <laughs> okay, go okay. ahead. <laughs> The, the thing is, this is what leadership is coming down to. And who are we going to serve? I did, um, you know, and I tell this people or folks this when I'm running for governor, because there's always people that are for you or people that are against you. And when you run up against people that are against you, they always say the same thing. You're just, you just did that. You just kept your school open during COVID um, as a political stunt to gain attention. Really? Is that why I did that? Well, let me tell you why I did that. Um, I did it because I swear an oath to the Constitution under my as a as a contracted superintendent. I swear an oath to support my school board as their agent. And my school board members are elected and they swear an oath to the Constitution. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And here's what I want all the naysayers, especially any progressives who are, who are you know, gritting their teeth and watching this or viewing this right now. I would have gotten the same pay, the same compensation. I would have been more supported by my professional community of superintendents. I would have been in the paper a whole lot less. I would have had a smoother life because I'd be working predominantly from home. Could have got some farm projects done. All of that could have happened. But instead, I decided to serve my students and families and parents. Mm -hmm. And I fought to keep the school open K through 12. Because of the negative externalities that I knew would come from keeping schools closed. And we saw it. So many. Yes. And I, I'm going to get emotional. I'm sorry. But whew. there were many, many young men and women in, in the Philomath, Corvallis, Eugene, Salem area who took their lives. Oh, my God. And, and, and the uptick in youthful suicide and then the lowering of the age by which kids as young as nine years old were, were attempting to take their lives. This is a government that doesn't seem to understand its role. And the government tried to play down those. Well, it's not. They literally said we're no longer going to count overdoses as, as, uh, as suicide. So people who write their note. And then inject themselves or imbibe um, an overdosing amount of medicine, which a lot of, as you know, people take that pathway. Yes. None of those count. 
This is a calloused, cold, inhumane government, which is why I'm running for governor. Somebody's got to step up and try to change it. And uh, the, the beauty of, of this is, I don't know if I'm going to win in my school district. I'm, I mean, I got the full threat of government all over my head right now. This could be my last weekend because Monday we open with mask option. Mm-hmm. So who knows? This could be my last interview. But what I'm saying is as a sane human being who's not. <laughs> uh, and I don't even know. I mean, I can't guarantee the outcome. But what I will say is I can guarantee the method. We are going to stay rooted, serving all of our students and families. And if you're worried, wear a mask. Protect yeah. yourself. You are responsible for you. Mm-hmm. Don't force your worldview or ideology on everyone else or uh, and don't side arbitrarily because you you do not have the tenacity because you're scared. It does. It's not a knock on you, but I understand being scared. But at some point you have to say no. And here's why. The Constitution says that we are governed based on the consent of the people. Stop consenting. Yep. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And more importantly, uh, it's always that there's a saying that uh, the righteous, quiet man is to be feared above all others. Yeah. Well, I couldn't agree more. Uh, Fortunately, I have trouble being quiet. (laughs) You speak very gently and and professionally and quietly. You just keep speaking, which is what has to happen. And and, and pre-COVID, um, among the medical freedom group, we often said that nobody enters this conversation in order to further their career. There is not a person in this movement who stepped out and spoke the truth about the science, the politics, the corruption, who did not see their careers attacked, their licenses revoked, their, you know, everything. They lose family members, they lose friends. But they're compelled to do the right thing. They're compelled by that inner drive, that inner light that seems to be missing from so many in our government and working in hospitals today. And, you know, there are some fantastic people, some pets, some fantastic healers in, um, in the healthcare system. I don't mean all of them, but Anybody working in the systems today who has seen what's going on and is not speaking up, I want to say to you right now, it is time, you know, join the ever-growing forces. I mean, we are growing by leaps and bounds. I tell you what, Mark, I have heard a lot of people say, you know, at first I, I trusted the government. I was doing everything that they said, and then they begin to learn, and then they realized they were being lied to in the corruption, and our side wins. I have never ever heard anybody say, well, I didn't trust the CDC and um, I was really concerned about the vaccines, but, you know, now I trust them. And now I really, you know, nobody goes the other way. Never, ever. Right. That's actually a very good point. (laughs) Yeah. It it ain't happening. Well, you know, and they try to create that though. It's so funny. Even pre-COVID, they would sometimes drag people that they call the anti-vaxxers. And it's so funny. You just do a little research. You found out it was completely staged. They drag some anti-vaxxer and and do some whole show around them and say how they now regret that they were anti-vaccine and blah, blah, blah. But that's all fake. I've never seen it for real. Well, let me give an example. Let's say you you decide you're going to sell t-shirts to raise money for whatever cause, right? 
Yeah. And you're the Oregon Health Authority, and they're thinking, man, we got to raise some money. And it, let's say they made shirts that say, Oregon, uh, Oregon Health Authority, I like being lied to. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wonder yeah. how those shirts would sell. Yeah. I don't think a lot of people would want to wear that shirt. I like being lied to. Hello. Yeah. Support Oregon yeah. Health Authority. Yeah. I, um, I like the T-shirt that says, um, I can be coerced. Ask me how. Yeah. You know, how much? Yeah. Mm-hmm. What would it take? Some people, it's a beer. Some people, it's a thousand dollars. Some people, it's sure. a joint. Some, it's you threaten their job. You know, there's hot, mm-hmm. different levels of, of able well, to be I've had, coerced. I, I appreciate you bringing that up. I have had, I had uh, some employees, I'm not going to name them, but they, they confided in me that they broke down and got their shot or got their booster. Yeah. And take um, away that personal pronoun. Yeah. It's not their shot. Okay. Well, so that the they, shot. Years and, ago, they started marketing vaccines saying, did you get your flu shot? And when they and added that, it got milk. Okay. It's a marketing uh-huh. ploy to put that personal possession on it. So let's try. Is, sorry about that. But. No, your point is, your point <laughs> is prescient because it shows that none of us get out unscathed. So, but no, that is a very no. good point. They yeah. went and got the shot yes. or they got the booster. Mm-hmm. And the reason that I, they eventually confided in me is because they were sick for three to five days. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and of course I'm like, dude, what's, what's up? You got COVID? What? Nope. It's not COVID. Well, what is it? Um, well, I got the, um, um, the, the, the vaccine. I thought you didn't want to get the vaccine. I didn't, but man, I'm, you know, I X number of years to retirement. I, they were afraid of what the government would do. Mm-hmm. The government threatened all of us administrators and teachers with our loss of our retirement, with everything under the sun. I mean, I'm yeah. sitting in whole statewide meetings going, well, we're on minute 40 and I'm still being threatened. Right. Wow. That's what wow. they did. You will do that... this or else. And uh, that's the nasty grams that they sent me, you know, you know, you have, you have uh, what was it? You have till January 31st to reply to this or, yeah, you know, all this. And I'm like, okay, so the first reply will be the 31st. I'll have that ready. You know, I might, I might have it sent to you accidentally and I'll respond to uh, the Oregon department of education. And then I have till next Wednesday and I'll respond to the Oregon health authorities, nasty gram. And then I have yeah. a couple of teachers unions and things that I'll respond to the teachers union ones is easy because ready, if you're worried, wear a mask. Mm-hmm. There you go. Yep. That's it. And teachers will not be faced on losing their licenses because if they're wearing a mask, they've complied with the law. That's that's right. That's good. Hey, I wanted to ask you before I forget, um, and we only have a few more minutes, but was there something going on about homeschoolers? Um, Um, Well, I I was the chief petitioner for the school choice initiative that uh, recently was um, uh, submitted. And of course it went, it was uh, submitted then to balloting. And in Oregon, there's a process by which they they do what's called a constitutionality test. And, and it shows you the biases of the current Secretary of State, Shamia Fagan, down here. She sent me a letter. And normally, when if they are going to say, hey, this is, you know, you, you met all the requirements, but we don't think this is constitutional, you'll have a DOJ citation. The Department of Justice will come in and they'll give the Secretary of State things to put in. She wrote three simple sentences. You're amending more than one part of the Constitution, which isn't true. And um, you're trying, you're you're forcing the state to uh, uh, pay for religious education, which isn't true. So the the choice initiative said the money follows the kid, 
money goes through the, the local school district. If the parents opt into the program, the school district sends 80% of the regular funding to a nonprofit for the parent to access uh, and direct in support of their child, whether it be homeschool or tutoring or some little pod school. Um, if the parent wants to send their kid to a parochial school, according to that, they could. And here's why. Once it goes to the nonprofit, it's no longer government money. Exactly. So, we're not, so we're not violating Article 1 like she claimed. But for a Secretary of State to not give any citations or you know recitations is unprofessional. It, she's just mm-hmm. biased. So she no. threw it out, and now we go to the appeals court process, of course. And uh, oh, good. Okay. Um, and then you know, I the other option is we re, reword a few things, and we go out. It didn't take us long to get the signatures. Trust me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I can imagine. I can imagine. Yeah. It were long lines. So I, I hope that was a quick summation of that, and that's going no. on. Too. Yeah, that's good. And I thank you for, um, you know, you didn't, you've got your hands full protecting your own kids in your own school. And I, you know, thank you for looking out for the kids, you know, whose parents want to homeschool them or provide them with an alternative way of learning. I mean, all kids are different. It should not be one size fits all for anything for medicine or schooling. Um, And I appreciate you, you know, taking efforts. And I think a lot of states are trying to do that. And it's always been a pushback that's been going on for a long time of, of that pushback and how to do it. I I like the idea of, of putting it through a nonprofit because I've heard the argument that, you know, once you're taking government money, it always comes with strings and that's Mm -hmm. not good. You, you, you aren't free to truly educate in the way you believe is best with those strings, which is one of the problems, of course, with that ESSER money, it comes with a lot of strings. A lot of strings. Mm Yeah. Yep. I'm going to miss that $18. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, it's cool that it, it, it only ended up being $18, um, you know, but uh, for you individually, but I, I know that there's a lot of school districts. Well, one of the things I learned about that ESSER money, we've only got like one more minute here is that um, the, the federal government sent it out to the schools and said, here, use it, improve the healthier schools. Um, later on, there might be some reporting that we ask of you. Mm-hmm. And so the schools are spending money on HVAC machines and doing some good updates that truly help improve yeah. the health and safety of the school. Um, and then they're told, oh, by the way, you have to tell us that you're actually complying with masking and all this other stuff mm-hmm. after, you know. Um, and I hear the music. Um, so Superintendent Mark Thielman, thank you so much for joining us. Um, keep us updated on, on the good work you're doing there in Oregon. We appreciate it. Uh, everybody. You. Yeah. Um, thank you, Dr. X, for another great two hours of radio you've been listening to. And Inform Life Radio on 1150 AM KKNW. We'll be back next week. Thank you. During this unprecedented response to an infection outbreak, it has been made very clear that shutting down lives and businesses is not sustainable or repeatable. We've also learned that it's unnecessary. Treatments exist and always exist. For 99% of the population, nutrients and oxidative therapies that support the immune system and improve symptoms are always available to address viral infections. For the less than 1% who need more, Inexpensive, unpatentable drugs can be added to the nutrient therapies to improve outcomes. It's time each and every one of us empower ourselves with this knowledge. We need not ever bring our lives to a halt again. 
we can both save lives and retain the liberty that nourishes us body and soul. Learn more at healthyimmunitynow.org. That's healthyimmunitynow.org. Are you suffering from a sinking feeling that the COVID-19 pandemic is being blown out of proportion and that nothing in the news is making any sense? If so, then there is a fact-based, science-driven news show designed just for you. My name is Del Bigtree, and I am the host of The High Wire, the world's most trusted news source in digital media when it comes to accurate, science-based reporting on the COVID-19 pandemic. From COVID-19 vaccine development to mask mandates, school shutdowns to job layoffs, The High Wire goes beyond providing you with the most accurate, evidence-based investigations. We send you links to the sources for all of our reporting so that you can further your own investigation and come to your own informed conclusions. High above the agenda-driven circus of mainstream media, we do not run. We do not hide from the truth. Instead, we walk the high wire. If you care about truth, then join us on Instagram, Twitter, Roku, and our website, thehighwire.com. Informed Choice Washington is a nonprofit organization that advocates for healthy immunity, medical freedom, and fully informed medical consent. The right to make medical choices without coercion is fundamental to our civil liberties and a basic principle in all human rights declarations. To learn more, tune in each Friday from 3 to 5 p.m. to an Informed Life Radio and visit the website informedchoicewa.org. It's time to take a stand for medical freedom. Go to informedchoicewa.org today. 